This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome, everybody, to today's edition of the Untold Story podcast. I'm Martha McCallum, and I'm really happy to have with me today the author of the brand new book, American Breakdown, Why We No Longer Trust Our Leaders and Institutions and How We Can Rebuild Confidence. Gerard Baker, the Wall Street Journal editor-at-large, a journalist for more than 30 years with the BBC, the Financial Times, and a long history, of course, at the Wall Street Journal. Jerry, it's great to have you with us today. Martha, thanks very much for having me. So let's talk about your book. You've been so prolific in your writing and journalistic work. So I was interested in the fact that this is your first book. What made you decide that that this was the subject that you wanted to tackle in your first book? Thanks, Martha. It's, it's, it's a good question. And it's something that, um, you know, actually came about as a result. Of what it really came about, for, as you say, I've been a journalist for 30, 35 years. And one of the things that you constantly deal with, and you'll be familiar with this, Martha, too, in journalism is the issue of trust and and the, whether or not people trust what you're doing, whether it's your own work or whether you're an editor. And I, you know, I've done both. And it was obvious to me throughout that 30 year period of my career, 30, 30 years in the United States in journalism, Americans' trust in the media was, let's put it mildly, not just declining, but was collapsing. People, you know, didn't trust what they said. Other sources of media were growing up, the traditional media, the big traditional newspapers, the big traditional cable, television news, other news organizations, they were becoming less and less trusted. And, you know, it was, again, it was strikingly obvious to me that that was a real problem. If you don't really, can't really trust what the media are telling you, then then how are you going to inform yourself of the things you need to know to make decisions? So I became very interested in figuring out what was, you know, what, you know, it was obvious to me what was happening with trust. And we can talk about that because so many news organizations have just abandoned any attempt to tell the objective truth in favor of pursuing a particular ideological agenda. But as it occurs to me, as I, as I looked at the media, it, then, of course, also I, I looked at some data, some Gallup publishes data every year where they, they ask Americans what, whether they have trust in a series of major institutions, all the institutions you can think of, really, the government, law enforcement, the media, education, law, um, a big business, small business, the military, all these kind of things. And in case after case after case, it became I realized that trust had collapsed in almost all of these institutions. The military, by the way, is one glowing exception. But in all of these institutions over the last 20 years, and you've not, we're not just talking about small declines in public trust. We're talking about dramatic collapses in trust. The media, you know, in the late 19, in the 1970s and 80s, 75% of Americans said they trusted newspapers. That number's down to about 15% today. Over 50% said they trusted the government basically to do things right. That's down to 20, 25% today. Big business was up in the 60%. That's down to 30% today. So people, it was obvious to me then, as I looked deeper into this, that there's just been this across the board, dramatic plummeting in trust that people have. And I just wanted to get to the bottom. You know, again, it wasn't a surprise to me because I, you know, like a lot of people, I've come to distrust a lot of those institutions too. But it was such a powerful phenomenon and such an all-inclusive phenomenon that I really, I wanted to get to the bottom of it. So I, yeah, I looked into it and uh, that's how the book came about. 
Yeah, I think it is such an important subject and it's something that people sort of talk a lot about. But one of the things that you say early on is that it's frightening because there are implications for the survival of the United States. And I look at what's going on in the country and you see this kind of lack of interest in faith, in family, in history, in patriotism, all these foundational things that make America what it is. And I think you can make an argument that we're sort of in the throes of the fall of the empire. When you look at other empires that have had their heyday and gone into decline, uh, the Roman Empire, of course, is one example. So this is a very serious degrading in the trust in all of these institutions when newspapers are at 18 or 15%, it's just, that's a horrific number. So to me, the biggest issue is what do we do about it? You know, what, what do we, what do we do about this? And is it fixable based on your research and writing? Yeah, uh, Martha, it's an excellent question. You're, and you're right. A society, a democracy can't survive if people don't trust the, the institutions that essentially that kind of drives that, that, that democracy. Let me give you the, the perfect example is the, the, the most powerful example, the most recent example is, of course, you know, elections. If people don't trust the result of elections, rightly or wrongly, and, you know, I have my differences with Donald Trump over a lot of things, but the fact is roughly half the country right now doesn't trust the outcome, doesn't, doesn't believe that the outcome of the election as officially recorded is trustworthy, is, is the right one. If that happens, and they literally lose faith in democracy, they literally lose faith that, that their views are going to be represented that what they voted for, that what the country voted for is going to be respected. So we have to have trust. We have to have, we have to have a basic level of trust. Look, how do we go about restoring it? I did, I, that's my, the last chapter of my book. And I have to tell you, it's, it's not easy. I mean, there are, there are lessons in history. America's been through these periods like this before where serious de- uh, there's been a serious decay in trust. The 1960s is a good example. We got to the late 1960s in a very similar situation to where we are now. You look at the year as bad as things may seem today, Martha, and I agree with everything you've said about you know the decline of the Roman Empire and what this looks like in, in American terms. So you go back to 1968, in some ways that was even worse than what we're seeing today. There were political assassinations that year. There was political violence across the country. There were riots. There was terrorism. Hundreds of Americans were dying in a war that was increasingly unpopular. There were you know there were, there was enormous sense of political collapse, and you know we came through that. Now we came through that in part, I think, because. The majority, what Richard Nixon famously called the silent majority, stood up and said, you know what, we don't want this kind of assault on our institutions, this assault on our values that we've seen over the last few years, and assault on the very essence of what it means to be American. And I think that's to some extent what's going to happen today, that that people, you know, I do think, and I say in the book, there are many reasons for a decline of trust. There are many trust, untrustworthy politicians untrustworthy law enforcement officers, many, I'm sorry to say, untrustworthy people in the media. There's a vast number of different reasons why things have declined. But I do think the major factor is we've had this growth of an elite, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, an elite that's become increasingly detached from the American people with its own values, its own ideas. But by the way, those ideas which are quite explicitly, quite explicitly reject American traditional values and ideals. They actually say American traditional values and ideals are terrible, racist, white supremacist, sexist, you know, colonialist, all of those things that has become very, very commonplace among the people who do, uh, as I say, actually lead many of our institutions. And I do think before we can really begin to restore trust, we have got to start, we've got to start taking the country back from those people. Now, you know, we need to do it democratically and we need to do it 
through elections. Uh, I think, you know, it needs the right people to do that. It needs people who can be trusted. I think, again, one of the problems, I hate it when every conversation comes down to a conversation about Donald Trump. I do think one of the problems Donald Trump has is that, you know, while while I think his election in 2016 represented the beginning of this fight back by people to take their country back, he himself has proved himself to be rather flawed. I think there are other conservatives or other Republicans, though, who can do that. But it is going to take it a long time, mothers. This process has been going on for 20, 30 years. Yeah. This, um, this essentially this decline in trust and the way in which these institutions have become untrustworthy. And it's going to be a long haul back. But I think, I think the process has started and I think it's just got to continue. You know, you think about the period that you discuss of the Vietnam War and post-Vietnam War, Watergate, all of those things that really, for the first time, in America made people deeply question whether or not they were being dragged into war for the wrong reasons, whether or not um, the president of the United States was a, you know, was a crook. Richard Nixon said, every, you know, the country deserves to know if the president is a crook. So really, when you look at it, the thing that began the turn, I think you could go to the Reagan election, right, in 1980. Right. And right. that period... It, we saw prosperity, a, a change in economic uh, philosophy in terms of how to govern the country. And there was, I think, a hunger for patriotism at that point. People were tired and worn down by all of the divisions. So it to me, it, it it might take a person, and I'm not sure who that person is. I think a lot of conservatives, a lot of Trump supporters certainly would say that he made them feel like that. And and the numbers tell us that they still strongly feel that way, Jerry. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mother. Again, I think it's exactly what the, the recovery in the, from the 1960s did take a decade. And it, it started with Richard Nixon's election in 68. He, unfortunately, there are parallels with Trump, actually, because, you know, I think, I think the 68 election was maybe c- comparable with the 2016 election in that you know, a lot of American people said, you know, no, we've had enough of this. We've had enough of this um, seizure of our country, of our institutions by this sort of progressive left that kind of hates America, actually, which is exactly what Nixon said in the 1960s and exactly what Donald Trump said in 2016. Um, that they, yeah, I think there are parallels there. But as you say, Nixon proved himself to be a very flawed character. Another parallel there, perhaps, with Donald Trump. And it was another 12 years before, and, and, and we went through another trauma of the 1970s, although at least it wasn't quite as it was economically disastrous. It wasn't quite as politically and, and militarily disastrous for, for the U.S. as the, 90, as the late 60s had been. And yeah, you're right. And then we had Ronald Reagan come along. One, one of the things I think is really important, Martha, and I write about this in the book, is that one of the problems we have right now in the country, one of the many problems we have, is not just a division, not just a polarization, but we've got a, like a 50-50 polarization. It's, it's an astonishing statistic. But in the last 30 years, yeah, in the, in the 30 years before 1992, it was pretty routine for American presidents to be elected with huge majorities, you know, or, and, and huge majorities of the popular vote and then huge majorities in Congress too. Lyndon Johnson in 1964, Nixon in 68 and even more in 72, Ronald Reagan in 1980 and 84 and Bush senior in 88. Since 1992, we've had tight election after tight election. You know, it's, it's astonishing to think that, you know, the heaviest the biggest victory any president's had since 1992 was, was Barack Obama in 2012, when he won with 51% of the vote. That is wow. not a massive mandate. And that's part of the problem here. And we, so we kind of need to break out. We need a candidate who can bring enough of the country together, not just to win an election narrowly, especially one that's a closely contested, a hotly contested election, and one maybe where you win the popular vote uh, and lose the, lose the popular vote and win the electoral college vote, but one that wins a clear mandate, a clear majority. I don't think we've had a president with a genuine mandate probably since 
George H.W. Bush in 1988. And that's not good. So again, that's going to depend. You're absolutely right, Martha. It's going to depend. I mean, again, I'm not one of these people who you know, thinks that Ronald Reagan was God. I think he did amazing things and I think he was great for the country. He can't be replaced. He can't be replicated now. But we do need a character like that who can come along, who can not only reassert the primacy of American values as Reagan did, but do it in a way that is extremely popular and draws much wider support than just from the base of the Republican Party. And that's what that's that's what the country needs. I think there are, by the way, I think there are candidates out there who could do that right now. I think this, whether it's Nikki Haley, whether it's some of the other candidates for the Republican nomination, I think they have exactly those qualities. So, you know, there there is there is a chance yeah. that will happen. I think the risk is that we we just head back into another another election of hyper partisanship, another close result where half the country doesn't res- accept the result and the other half uh, you know, to deny, you know, the other half dismisses the other half of the country. So I think it's, you know, we've got to break out of that sort of hyper-partisanship with a real leader. The Untold Story continues right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So that's very interesting that you say that you think Nikki Haley could be that person and that you think there are, there are others as well. What do you see coming in this election? Because... There's all kinds of discussion now that you could see building momentum to potentially push Biden out. I think it's extraordinary yeah. what we've watched happen in The New York Times, The Washington Post over the course of this week, yeah. uh, where you see this movement. And these are the kind of movements that do produce uh, occasionally the momentum enough to make a change. We'll see if that happens. But but there isn't really anything at this point, which is extraordinary to say, given the legal situation that the former president's in. But it doesn't look like, you know, Nikki Haley or anyone else is headed for the nomination, at least in this moment in September of 2023. No, I think that's true. I look, I wrote my column in the journal this week saying, you know, the kind of, I think, I think honestly, I think it's a nightmare, the idea of a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And I say that as someone, again... Who, you're not alone. That polls show you're not alone. That's what, two, yeah, two-thirds of the country say that. Only 30% yeah. of the country have you know, positive positive opinions about Trump and Biden. I think you're right about Biden. There is, there looks like there is growing pressure on him to stand down. I don't see it, frankly. Not only because, you know, people... Once presidents have got the president, once someone's got the sniff of presidency, you know, what is it? John McCain's great line, famous line about, you know, the only known cure for presidential ambition is embalming fluid. And mm-hmm. I just don't, you know, I don't see people voluntarily giving up the presidency and another chance at another four years in power. And second, for the Democrats, who are they going to pick? And I think one of the reasons Biden and the end Biden will be both encouraged to stay in office and will decide to stay and run again is that the choices are terrible on the Democratic side. Kamala Harris, really? Gavin Newsom, really? The Republicans, on the other hand, actually have, have, do have good choices. I mean, that's the irony there. The, you know, the Republicans have a range, a really good bench. I mentioned Nikki Haley. I think, Ronda, I don't. You know, I think Ron DeSantis is far from perfect, but he would be a good, I think he'd be a perfectly good president who would represent the ideals and the values that most conservatives mm-hmm. want to see. I think people like, you know, I mean, Mike Pence, um, some of these other candidates, I think are, you know, they're all strong and plausible candidates. But yeah, we're in a position, Martha, where the president, the former president's supporters feel very, very strongly that the election was taken, was stolen from him. And he feels that too very strongly. And that is going to continue to be the defining 
force in the Republican Party. If as long as the party is focused on retribution, as as, as Donald Trump calls it, for what he sees as the what he was wronged in tw- in twenty twenty, then but Trump is going to be the front runner. If the party starts thinking about the future, by the way, you know we could we could do with some younger candidates too. Um, if the study starts thinking about the future, then I think things could change. And we may yet see that in the next few months. But right now, it looks like the party is focused on, you know, retribution and restoration. One of the things I think is interesting and in the discussion of Biden and whether or not he should step aside and what you say about how difficult it is for people to walk away from the heady power of the presidency is that something that seems to be missing in American politics now is humility, is the ability to be a statesman, to stand up and put the country before yourself. For someone in Biden's shoes or perhaps McConnell or Feinstein or Fetterman to say, this is an incredible honor to have held this job, but we all need someone else to do it because I'm going to step aside, I'm going to pull myself out. Or the ability for people to say, I made a mistake with this or the economy is in tough shape right now and here's what we're going to do. Or for former President Trump to say, as much as I tried, the election is what it is and everyone should accept it. Is that whole kind of mentality missing from American politics? And if it is, I think there's an argument that that has deteriorated trust as well. I think you're totally right, Martha. And again, I, I I really do feel very strongly about this. The quality of leadership in this country, Mitch McConnell's been a great, Senate leader, he's got a lot of things done, but, but, you know, he's a Senate leader, which means he's a brilliant getting backroom deals done. Um, Donald Trump had many great qualities. There's no question about it. Even Joe Biden, some of his fans, I suppose, has qualities, but there is a lack of leadership. The quality of the leadership in this country is disturbed. Given, given the leaders we've had, where you think it's Ronald Reagan or you think of George H.W. Bush, where you go back further and you think of Harry Truman or FDR or President Eisenhower, mm-hmm. where are those figures today? And I, you know, I think I've written about this, Martha, and I think, and it's just going to sound like a kind of, it's going to sound like a, maybe even slightly obscure point, but I think part of the problem is we don't, we're so far from a, now we don't have a generation anymore alive, very few of them anyway, who made genuine sacrifices in their lives. You know, the, the world, the so-called greatest generation, or indeed many people who fought in Korea or fought in Vietnam, those have largely moved on from the political scene. And instead we've got people who haven't really served. And I don't just mean military. It is, it is largely military. I think if you look at the quality of Look at the quality of the people around Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan himself didn't directly serve in the military, but but the members of his cabinet, the, the leaders at that time, or George H. W. Bush himself, and the members of his cabinet. Those people, those people who were dedicated, who had literally been prepared for ultimate sacrifice for their country. And it's those kind of people we need. We just haven't had. We haven't asked people to make that kind of. Well, we asked our military to make that sacrifice all the day, but we haven't had a military political leader. Who's we up with the exception, I suppose, of John McCain, and he had his own flaws and problems as a political leader. We haven't had political leaders with that kind of a background, with that level of sacrifice that they've made. And I think that's a real problem. I think it is the me generation we have, and it's all about them, and it's all about them keeping their power and succeeding and getting on, whether in politics or business or the media, whatever it is. And I think that's really damaging. Yeah. Um, so if there's one thing that you can leave us with, Jerry, about what you think is the secret to rebuilding confidence. And and I mentioned the structures of faith, of family. I mean, do people need to, does it come from the government or does it come from somewhere else? Um, no, or it is it from- maybe thrust on us by an outside threat, you know, as we look, yeah. as you look back at World War II, which we all hope doesn't happen, but. Well, you hit, you've hit on all the points there. I would say, yeah, if there is an external threat, that is something. Look, what, look where the country was 
know, we just marked yet another anniversary of 9-11 this week. Think back to whether it was on September the 12th, 2001, and for the year or two after that, how it came together. So an external threat, we hope it doesn't happen. We don't want to go to war. But those kind of things are the things that sort of has to restore trust. I think it's partly also, but it, but it's got to come from the it's got to come from the American people. Look, I do think, Martha, and I don't want to be too, I certainly don't want to leave you on too sort of apocalyptic a note. But but our civilization is under direct threat right now. We are, and it's not under direct threat actually from China or from Russia, uh, you know, or from North Korea. It's under threat from ourselves. We are America is the greatest country in the history of the planet. It's done more for the world than any other country, both in terms of the sacrifices its soldiers have made and the innovations its 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 business people have made the extraordinary success its it, it, its 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 brightest people have made it has been the greatest and its model of democracy above all else has been an inspiration to the world and unfortunately we do have an elite in this country that controls too much this is the point of my book really that, that controls too many of our institutions that really rejects all that that rejects what america stands for and i do think you know that is the, that's the that's the challenge we face we are facing this Kind of self-immolation on this, you know. Only only Americans can can be as critical of themselves. Um, they're, the, they're the most they're, they are the most self-critical people in the world, or at least some of these political leaders, some of these cultural and political leaders are. And we have to go back to understanding what made America great. It is a great country. It's flawed, of course. It's flawed. Gosh, you know, slavery was a terrible crime. That Jim Crow was a terrible crime. But the beauty of America, the, the success, the genius of America, is it's overcome those. It's overcome those flaws. It's overcome those 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 weaknesses and those um, those vices that it's had. And it's been a great country. And I think the danger right now is that we're we are unfortunately led by too many people who don't believe that and who don't and who actually want to remake America and to turn it away from the from the values and the virtues that made it great. And it's time. And I think the American that's going to depend the American depend on the American people taking the country back. Well, Jerry Baker, thank you very much. And congratulations on the book. It's called American Breakdown by Gerard Baker, the Wall Street Journal editor at large. And it's always great to talk with you. I would recommend everybody read the book, but also read your columns and your work uh, and your interviews uh, throughout because uh, you're talking about things that are so important to the future of the country. And uh, we commend you for it. Thank you, Martha. I really appreciate it. Thanks and good luck. Great to be with you. You as well. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.